Hello, it's 9th of February 2020 and this is episode 131 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star's news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the series. And how has your week in Star Wars been, Rachel? It's been pretty good. Um, I'm trying to think about the Star Warsy stuff I've done. Um, I downloaded the Colin Trevorrow script for episode nine, so but I, but I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I've skimmed through it very quickly. Um, but yeah, that's something that I can look forward to in the future. Um, and yes, we will be talking about that in substantially more detail at some point. But we have lots of stuff to catch up on, basically. That's what we've been realising. Um, so we still need to talk about Resistance need to do so many episodes on the rise of skywalker to dig into what was going on with that um so obviously we had the big long review episode but in terms of the characters etc etc um and yeah there's just lots of stuff out there so yeah how about you Kirsty? what have you been up to this week yeah it's a bit overwhelming isn't it um yeah i'm excited though because it does mean lots of potential topics for future episodes so mm-hmm. it's going to keep us going while we wait for more stories down the line um, in terms of actual Star Wars stuff that I've been enjoying this week, um, I've been watching a lot of The Clone Wars. Awesome. So I guess over the past couple of weeks, because we've had a couple of episodes, a couple of weeks that we haven't had an episode. Um, I'm partway through season three now. Um, I'm not watching every single episode. I have like an essentials list that a friend sent. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been really helpful because I'm kind of conscious of the fact that I'm on a clock. <laughs> There's only yep. a couple of weeks left before it comes back. Uh, I'm not sure I'll be there in time, but either way, I'm really enjoying it. Um, and even while I've been consuming something that's like prequels era, it's been making me feel kind of reflective on the sequel trilogy and how we got to the end of it and how everyone feels about it. Because mm. I don't know, like ugh, looking at the prequels and and looking at how the Clone Wars kind of fleshes out that world and that era. Um, it's kind of making me realise that the sequel trilogy characters will always hold a really special place in my heart. Like, I still love it for that. But in terms of the overall thing, I don't know. I don't know where I'm at. I'm kind of going back and forth on a lot of stuff, and I think we really do need to talk about it Yeah, in greater depth at some point. I really want, at some point, a Clone Wars-esque series for the sequel trilogy, because... <sighs> I think it obviously remains to be seen, like how well that sort of show would turn out to be. But I think there's potential to make something much greater from the raw materials that the sequel trilogy offers. Because, yeah, being frank, it's often like messy, it's only very vaguely explained. And I feel like that there is room to make a lot more sense of it with a show. I think there was much more firm groundwork with the prequels to work with in terms of what the Clone Wars later developed the story and the big greater world building into but I think there are is still interesting stuff you could do with a sequel trilogy era show especially with like the rise of the first order and potentially lots of dark minions running around doing whatever the hell Palpatine wants them to do like whatever's <laughs> going on with that so yeah, I think there is potential. It just depends on finding the right people with the appropriate skills to tell really good stories. Yeah, of course. And there's the rise of Kylo Ren comic at the moment, which is doing a lot of that kind of establishing of how they got to the state 
we're at at the beginning of The Force Awakens. Um, and we're both really enjoying that series, so we'll definitely talk about that at some point too. Yeah, that's a really, really good comic. So good. Yeah, I think I'm just at the point where I'm like, okay, The Last Jedi is my favourite Star Wars movie. Mm. But I feel like an opportunity to really move things beyond the paradigm of the original trilogy has been lost. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, if you think about what George did with the prequels, he really moved the needle. They weren't executed in a way that suited everyone, but they really broadened the horizons of what Star Wars could be and what else was out there in the galaxy. And if you step back and kind of look at the sequel trilogy as a whole now, aside from the central characters, what more is it given us? You know, it really retreads a lot of ground. Yeah. No, you're right. There's there's so little context. I mean, because if you look at The Force Awakens and what every you know everything that happened with like Starkiller Base and Hosnian Prime and everything, you just kind of figured that more would be explained later on, and this was just kind of setting things up. But then it really wasn't. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're right. There's lots of stuff that just happens, and then it doesn't really have repercussions. Which, yeah, I think a series could help with that. But at the same time, it's more than legitimate to say you shouldn't have to have extra extraneous material, like a show or like books or whatever, that gives something like that impact and make you feel the ramifications of that. That's big enough to receive more acknowledgement than it actually got in the movies, basically. So yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of things are given like a a visual echo, which you can you can like hang something on it because you know what they meant in the original trilogy, but in terms of their emotional weight within this story, mm. that's a bit questionable. Yeah, um, and I think that really comes to a head in the Rise of Skywalker, but maybe that's just because that's the last of the stories. So you're like, wait, no, I still have so many questions. Yeah, no, I <laughs> yeah. think it's just frustrating. So I think. In my view, the sequel trilogy does characters probably the best out of any of the trilogies. Right. Despite fumbling their endings, you know, in The Rise of Skywalker, obviously, that's our stance on that. Um, But yeah, those characters, they just feel so vivid and empathetic to me, you know, in a way that none of the characters in the prequels or the originals did. And the performances are amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. The acting is just top-notch. And again, I don't think Star Wars has ever had a better actor than Adam Driver, in my opinion. And I'd be surprised if there, is it, if there ever is a greater actor, to be honest, than him in a future Star Wars project, but we'll see. Um, so yeah, I think it's... I really cherish the sequels for giving me those characters and telling their stories, despite the missteps. But yeah in terms of the wider stuff and like the world building the thematic resonance of things then yeah it leaves stuff to be desired um but yeah we'll have to do a whole other episode on that because that is a whole can of worms yeah i just bring it up because i really have kind of been diving into the clone wars and really enjoying it and like Mm. reflecting on how that kind of really fleshes things out from the prequels people had a lot of questions about things that happened between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith and it's amazing for Anakin's character development you see a lot more of Anakin and Padme's relationship there are so many amazing female characters yeah um but yeah I I I kind of started watching it partly because I knew the Clone Wars was coming out again soon so I I wanted to catch up but also I kind of needed a break from sequel trilogy stuff Mm. but I still can't fully get away from it in my mind so I'm kind of like you say thinking about what a show like this could do for the sequel trilogy era yeah um, 
And obviously we have resistance and we really enjoy that show, but that was also kind of cut short, arguably prematurely. Um, so it, it didn't really have a chance to get going in the same way. Yeah. So there's still so much they could cover. Yep, exactly. It's a whole lot of a world of opportunities for stories and stuff. And honestly, I really think that would be the smartest thing they could do with the sequel trilogy because now with the prequels, you really do see this very passionate younger sector of the fan base that love that series so much. And in large part, that does seem to be because of the Clone Wars and how that really helped to nourish people's investment in those characters and that world. And yeah, I just think there's a real danger of the sequel trilogy sort of slipping from people's consciousness and not having the same power unless they commit to it through something like an extended series. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we'll see because obviously we have no idea if something like that will happen or not. I'd like it to happen, but yeah, it's just hypothetical at the moment. Yeah, it wasn't mentioned in Bob Iger's earning call. So. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> we'll see. I, th- I think the next animated series I've heard rumblings of has been a sequel to uh, Rebels, mm-hmm. which I know that Rebels is very popular, so I'm sure that will make the fans of that show very happy. But yeah, I'd prefer something sequel trilogy-centric. But I think whatever. it might feed into sequel trilogy because it goes up to the point where the First Order would be starting to kind of form there in the background. Okay. And we know that Ezra and Thrawn kind of went off into the unknown regions. So mm. I think it could tie in. Okay, cool. Well, if that does happen, then I'll watch it. <laughs> no. And I do sincerely want to actually watch The Clone Wars as well, because I still have yet to, really. Um, well, you don't have access to Disney+. Plus, Exactly. So. But Disney+, Plus, I think, is coming out here in March. So before too long, I'll have access to it too. So yeah, then I can correct that. Um, oh, and one last thing I remembered, it's been such a long time since we recorded, that since I last recorded, I've been to a Star Wars themed bathroom, which <laughs> is truly something to behold. Like it's in Reykjavik in Iceland, um, because I was there on holiday. And it's just in this like completely random cafe, like which is a little bit bohemian and quirky. So it's not completely out of the left field, but it still is out of left field. And you just go in there to use the loo and they're just blasting the Imperial March and the speakers. <laughs> and nothing else about this cafe is remotely Star Wars themed. So you go in there and it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like to me, it was amazing because obviously I'm a big Star Wars fan, but I thought, God, to just a complete random, that's going to be very disconcerting. <laughs> yeah, the Imperial March is pretty intense music to go to the bathroom to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's pra- placing certain expectations on you that pro- possibly aren't appropriate for a trip to the bathroom. But... <laughs> yeah, it was something and definitely a highlight of my holiday experience. So yeah, recommended. <laughs> I think it was um, Cafe Bablu or something like that. Um, so yeah, go there. <laughs> Okay, cool. So let's move on to the news. Um, So the first thing that you want to talk about is that Bob Iger has discussed future plans for Star Wars TV in an earnings call. Um, Would you like to read out the summary of this, Kirsty? Okay, so this is from Variety. Um, The Mandalorian could be taking a page from the Avengers. The hit Disney Plus series may introduce new heroes and villains who will star in their own spin-off shows, company chairman Bob Iger told investors on Tuesday, shortly after the company presented quarterly earnings. Iger said the company is exploring the possibility of infusing The Mandalorian with more characters and taking those characters in their own direction in terms of series. 
Um, he also said that um, they'll be taking a bit of a hiatus in terms of theatrical releases, which we, I think we already knew that, right? Yeah. I think they tentatively set a date for the next movie as 2022, um, which I don't think he's doubled down on here. Mm. They're kind of being a bit more vague now. Yeah. Um, and then he said the priority in the next few years is television, which, again, we also knew because there are these... We already have the Mandalorian. There's the Obi-Wan series, which presumably we'll still get at some point. Um, that's a separate story we'll discuss later on. Um, and there's the Cassian Andor series. Um, and I think they've had a lot of success with the Mandalorian as kind of one of the new um, exclusive offerings on Disney+, Plus in getting people to sign up for that. So it makes sense to double down on that. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like, I think this all makes sense from a business point of view. Um, And yeah, like the stuff about them concentrating on TV for the next few years, that's not a surprise. That's been out there, I feel like, for the best part of a year. So, yeah, not remotely surprising. Um, Yeah, I think the main new thing is this whole idea of infusing the Mandalorian with more characters and taking those characters in their own direction in terms of series. That does feel like a bit of a red flag to me because... It seems like, oh, okay, we have this thing that's popular. Let's attach characters of spin-off potential to the thing that's popular and then give them their own series. Because obviously they have like the perfect model for that of all the Marvel stuff. And there's like 50 different spin-offs, each following a different Marvel character. And this sort of quote makes me concerned that they want to try and do the same thing for Star Wars, even though it's just such a different property. It just wouldn't work in the same way. So, yeah, I'm a bit sceptical about the prospect of that, to be honest. I think they should probably also reflect on why and what it is about The Mandalorian that has been most popular. And uh, far and away, it's Baby Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's been the cultural phenomenon that's come out of that series and Disney Plus so far. Um, so unless he's talking about a Baby Yoda spinoff, when Yoda starts to get older and wrinkly, yeah, I'm not sure... I like a lot of the characters from The Mandalorian, but I don't know if they're popular enough in terms of, like, going on to carry a series on their own weight in the way that he's talking about. Like, you know, you could feasibly have a series about Cara Dune, and I would watch it, but I don't know if that's what he's talking about. Mm. Yeah, like, from what he's saying, it sounds like they're talking about introducing new characters we haven't seen yet, and then making spin-off series about them. But that seems like a weird proposition, that's putting the cart before the horse like maybe he's just kind of speaking a bit more off the cuff and he's just saying look this show has been hugely successful so there might be opportunities there to spin that out more yeah um maybe it's not like a conscious plan but it's you know we'll see what comes out of that series yeah that would make much more sense to me so i hope that's sort of what he's getting at because, yeah, you're right, you can't be too unreasonable with these things because it is literally him talking to investors on the phone. So, yeah, it's possible to misspeak and stuff like that. Yeah, and not even necessarily misspeaking, just kind of like, well, we know that show's doing really well, so there might be opportunity to mine that further. Um, right, yeah. You know, in the meantime, while well, we're not making movies. But we don't know what's happening in season two, so presumably there are going to be lots of new characters. But I be surprised if already before that season has even aired that they have plans for those specific characters to then have their own shows that would be a bit premature yeah they should remember the example of joey who remembers joey (laughs) well i do but (laughs) probably not for the right reasons 
Yeah, but you um, know what I mean when I bring up Joey. <laughs> yeah, but we we do live in a different era now where s- spin-offs and endless sequels that's kind of the default. Yeah, you're right. If something does vaguely well, it gets a sequel or a spin-off. So <laughs> Yeah, um, I'd like to think that they'd wait to see how popular a character was and how much enthusiasm and passion there was for a character yeah. before they made decisions about whether that character warranted a spin-off. Because I think what's yeah. concerning for me is that he said that, and then he also said he did acknowledge what's been going on with the Rise of Skywalker. Um, obviously, it made a billion dollars, so they're happy about that. Um, but he said there's been some articles about how it's not been doing very well in Asian markets, and he, you know, he kind of tried to explain that and of course there is the general perception that star wars was not part of the the culture since the 70s um especially in the chinese market he was talking about specifically mm. um so you know people there didn't really grow up with the mythology they're not attached to it in the same way that a lot of western audiences are um but to me that kind of indicates that you could go for something brand new that wouldn't necessarily have to be attached to the original trilogy yeah. Um, and that maybe you would have a better chance of being successful. Yeah, that would seem like the smart move. Yeah, but that kind of doesn't really tie in with what he's saying here about The Mandalorian, because obviously that's heavily derivative of the original trilogy. Um, it's it's entwined with that era. So, I don't know. I think this is just kind of part of the, the larger... Uh, I don't know, discussion surrounding Star Wars and where it's going to go in the future now. Because we're obviously of the opinion, you know, we loved The Last Jedi. We hoped that Star Wars was going to kind of move forward and push boundaries and challenge its established audience. Um, The Rise of Skywalker seems to go in a different way. Um, And we're not quite sure how Bob Iger personally feels about that. Or we haven't heard anything from Kathleen Kennedy. So we're not sure of the overall vision of Star Wars um, from now on. Mm. It's a big question mark, essentially. Yeah. yeah, I think celebration will be very interesting in terms of what they choose to spotlight with panels and stuff. We won't be there this year. Um, but yeah, I will follow it with great interest. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I would assume that they're going to kind of focus mostly on these TV shows coming out, if that's what they're saying is going to be kind of the the short-term stuff um, if they're yeah. not going to announce a movie anytime soon. Because we, I think we had something, was it back in October or November, there was something in Empire Magazine that said they were going to announce the director of the next Star Wars movie in January. Mm. But that hasn't really come up again. No, there's been reports about Taika Waititi directing a movie, but that's definitely not an announcement. So, yes. We will have to see. I think they, hopefully they've learned their lessons in terms of being ultra cautious before announcing anything because, yeah, they're not in a position where they can look vulnerable or like they don't know what they're doing right now. So, right, yeah, I think there's lots of strategic PR decisions being made. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> take your time. Yeah. Take your time. Keep quiet until you have something super, super confirmed to say, guys. It's all right. We're, we're fine. <laughs> okay. So then the next story that we want to discuss is that a Poe Dameron young adult novel has been announced for August 2020. So, and yeah, I'll just briefly read the call of this story, which is from Polygon. Polygon can confirm that a new book, Star Wars Poe Dameron Freefall, is officially slated for August 4th, 2020, 
Written by Alex Segura of the Peter Fernandez Mystery Series and with cover art by Alice X. Sang, the YA novel will wind back the clock to before when Poe was a hot-headed pilot to a time when he was just a hot-headed teenager. Here's the description. It's been a few years since Poe's mother, who was a pilot for the Rebellion, passed away and Poe and his father have had more and more trouble connecting. Not sure what he wants to do with his life, teenage Poe runs away from home to find adventure and to figure out what kind of man he is meant to be. Okay, so what are your thoughts on getting a Poe Dameron YA novel, Kirsty? Um, if this is going to have lots of Zori Bliss, then I'm interested. Mm-hmm. If not, then I'm not. Yeah. I, I feel like the market is somewhat oversaturated with Poe content, to be honest. There's just a lot of Poe. You know, we had a long comic series about Poe. And it's not coming to me off the top of my head, but I know there's been a bunch of other Poe stuff besides the comic. Well, he was the central figure in Resistance Reborn, which was part of the Rise yes. of Skywalker lead up. Exactly. Um, yep. Yeah, I... There's a part of this interview where I think it's the the author himself says that fans have been clamoring for the Poe Dameron backstory. Um, we haven't because it was kind of, we were given the impression that we'd already had the Poe Dameron backstory. And then, of course, the Rise of Skywalker takes us in a different direction, which is fine. You know, I'm kind of mixed on it, to be honest, because I'm really not loving the whole Poe as a spy smuggler thing. Mm, yeah. But... Um, they went there for better or worse so it makes sense now for them to go and explain that stuff but um, I don't think there's been a clamouring for Poe because we got plenty of Poe and we don't have a lot of Finn or Ray and um, I don't know <laughs> when, when I saw it announced I was like oh that's not the first thing I was expecting them to announce as a spin-off from the sequel trilogy because I, yeah. I kind of thought we, we have a lot of Poe yeah, no, it was kind of my response as well. So I think uh, up to this point, I've been tried to be very patient and very understanding in that obviously they're not going to be telling two stories that go too deep for characters like Rey and Kylo because those characters aren't resolved yet. We don't know how their stories end. They obviously don't want to give away anything too crucial. So therefore they're focusing on sequel trilogy characters that are less critical to the core narrative, like Poe. And that made a lot of sense to me and that was fine. But now the story's wrapped up. And so I'm kind of like, well, surely now, what's holding you back from telling way more stories about Rey, Finn and Kylo? You know, and I don't mean after the events of The Rise of Skywalker, I mean before. Mm. Like, there's so much potential there with those characters that just is completely untapped still. And yeah, it's just kind of frustrating to me that we're going to get yet another Poe story telling even more of his backstory when, yeah, it just doesn't feel all that needed, I suppose. Like, I want to say I'll give it a chance, but I'll just have to see. You know, so I'm trying to read a lot that isn't Star Wars as well at the moment. You know, so it's Same. good to be well-rounded. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'll just have to see if it looks good, you know, and see what people are saying. Because I don't want to just make time for something purely because it's Star Wars. You know, I feel like there has to be more of a hook for me than that now. So yeah, we'll see. But I wish the author the best because, yeah, like I think it's their first Star Wars novel and... Yeah, I want everyone to do well and have a good time in that universe. So, yeah. 
yeah i think i'm largely in the same boat as you where going forward i'm not just automatically going to pick something up because it's star wars Mm, and not even yeah. because it's sequel trilogy related i'm really enjoying the rise of kylo ren comic and i know you are too yeah so we are getting background information for other characters it's not just poe but at the same time i'm dying to get more finn because yeah. i realize like he i feel like he was not explored to his full potential within the sequel trilogy itself but he's a fantastic character yeah so i would love to have more of him and it doesn't even have to be before the entire trilogy starts because of course, the idea at the beginning is that Finn and Ray have been giving, they've been living these obviously very different but kind of symbolically dormant lives before mm. their their adventures start. Um, so maybe there's not too much they can do there. Maybe that's the concern. But we now have this year time gap. Yep. And they again, like you said, we don't have to worry about spoilers or treading on anything from the story because we have the whole story now. So they could really go into a lot of depth. Um, and, and maybe they will. This is just the first announcement. So. Yeah. No, exactly. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that there's more to come that will seem more appealing to us. Because, yeah, with Finn, like, nothing will make how they treated Rose in The, the Rise of Skywalker okay. Because that's really shitty, clearly. And I, I don't want anything to take away from that. But like a novel like exploring like Finn and Rose in that year you know like what the hell happened there you know like were there conversations about what happened between them on Cray and stuff you know like I want to understand what became of that relationship more because obviously the Rise of Skywalker has no interest in that so yeah there is so much story still left to be told and yeah hopefully they'll give someone the opportunity to tell it yeah in Resistance Reborn, of course, we've talked about it, we got that section where Poe is asking Finn about his relationships with Ray and Rose, and he, he says, oh, I'm just friends with both of them. Mm. And then Poe's like, well, what happened with Crate? And he's like, oh, yeah, that whole thing? And it's like, she did save your life, dude. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> brushed off as like, uh, oh, yeah, she kissed me, but I'm not really sure. Um, and then, of course, we get to the Rise of Skywalker, and it's not even remotely acknowledged. Mm. So, yeah, like you say, there's... There's stuff there if they chose to tell those stories, but I'm not sure they will because it's almost like they have to then draw attention to the fact that Rose <laughs> was ignored by the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if they're going to have the bravery to do that. But yeah. again, that was their choice. So it's like you either double down or you awkwardly avoid all sequel trilogy content. Yeah, and I'd rather they double down, to be honest. Like, just commit to it. It happened. Like, don't, like, brush it under the carpet. You know, you've got to find ways of dealing with it and making it work somehow yeah because it's part of the story now it's part of the story that rose kissed him confessed her love and then apparently it goes nowhere or maybe it did go somewhere in the interim like you had that year and then for whatever reason they decided it wasn't working out but like whatever it is there's a gap there where the fans of that relationship fans of those characters are left wondering what on earth happened so yeah and thinking about it, I'd actually prefer for that book to be written from Rose's perspective. Because I mostly want her insight into that experience. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, remains to be seen if we'll ever get anything remotely like that. But I hope we do. Yeah, same. So coming back to this, if there's Zori stuff, I'm mm-hmm. down. Yes. Because I think she and her scenes with Poe were actually a real strength of the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. Which I did not expect to be the case. Um, but they were, you know, when they have that rooftop scene and they're talking about 
you know, then you're not alone. Um, they, that's how they win. They make you feel like you're alone. And, she, you know, they're talking about her running away to the colonies and she's trying to get him to go with her. Um, there's a, there's a lot of potential there, I think, for an interesting relationship. Yeah. No, and I really like that scene as well because it's one of the few moments in The Rise of Skywalker where it does actually slow down. Yeah. And, yeah, just give these two characters time to breathe and, like, talk to one another. And, yeah, it's very refreshing. So, yeah, I'd love to see a bit more Zori because she's obviously just there as a foil to Poe in the movie and Carrie Russell's wonderful, so she gives her flavour, but... Yeah, obviously doesn't go into any sort of depth about her. So yeah, hopefully we get a bit of extra insight into her. Yeah, this this could potentially be very similar to Most Wanted because they're almost kind of making Poe into a Han Solo character here. Mm, yeah. So hopefully it's not going to be too similar to that. Yeah, no, you're right. So that was obviously teenagers like having dealings in the criminal underworld, wasn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, and with the shades of romance, which presumably they're going to include for Poe and Zori, because it's it's clear from the Rise of Skywalker that they have a history to whatever extent. Yeah. Um. So presumably it's going to go into some detail there, but again, that opens another can of worms because there are lots of fans who were hoping that Poe, well, they were headcanoning that Poe would be gay, mm. but the Rise of Skywalker goes in a different direction. So. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker, guys. Um, Okay, cool. So let's move on to the next story, which is that the Obi-Wan series has been put on hold for the time being. Uh, Would you like to read the report from Collider, Kirsty? Sure. Uh, Last week, troubling rumours began swirling about the upcoming Disney Plus series revolving around the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ewan McGregor is poised to reprise his role from the Star Wars prequels in a story set eight years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. Screenwriter Hussein Amini from Drive and director Deborah Chow, The Mandalorian, were tapped to spearhead the series and production was on pace to begin this year. These rumours hinted at potential trouble behind the scenes and while we're hearing the show isn't cancelled, we are hearing that it's been delayed. Two independent sources with knowledge of the situation tell Collider that the Obi-Wan series has been put on hold as the crew that had assembled at Pinewood Studios in London was sent home. A time frame was not given, but the crew was told that the show would be down indefinitely. We're hearing that Lucasfilm president and Obi-Wan producer Kathleen Kennedy was not happy with the scripts. Sources tell us that what will most likely happen next is the scripts will be reworked with the hopeful goal of reassembling this summer, but there's always the possibility that the time frame could shift. Um, I think I read elsewhere, and maybe this is just a rumour, mm. um, that part of the the concern over the scripts is that they realised it seemed too similar to The Mandalorian. Yeah, I saw that as well. I can't remember exactly what the source of that was, but yeah, like it's definitely not just in your head. I've seen it. I mean, that's the kind of thing that first occurred to people when this was announced, that they ha- would have The Mandalorian series and they have Obi-Wan. And because it's in that time frame where he's kind of watching over Luke, it's like, okay, well, you've got two shows where you have these male older figures looking after children Mm, yeah yeah, they do sound kind of similar so you'd think that there would be like an effort to distinguish them yeah and you'd have hoped that that sort of thing would have been noticed somewhat earlier but uh... because ewan when he came on stage at d23 and it was confirmed this was happening he said that like scripts were written Mm. so they were that far into the process presumably at that point people were happy with the scripts and now they're not so 
maybe it took seeing the Mandalorian out there and how people were responding to it to realize. But either way, you've got to focus on the positives. At least they've kind of put it on hold before it's actually filming. Oh yeah, I, I think this is the right stage at which to be like, okay guys, we need to reassess this. I'd much rather they did this now rather than got halfway through the filming of the first season and we're like, oh, not working, let's yeah. reassess. Yeah, take your time and put something out that you're truly confident and happy with. Yeah, like my main concern with this is that I hope that the scheduling change that this will entail won't affect Deborah Chow's involvement in the show because that would break my heart because she's so good and she's done such great work on The Mandalorian mm-hmm. that right now, besides Ewan McGregor, so obviously it's Ewan McGregor who doesn't love him, my main attraction with this show in Obi-Wan series is the prospect of it being directed by Deborah Chow. So I'd be really heartbroken if she weren't able to work on it for any reason. So move heaven and earth if you need to, but make sure that Deborah Chow can still be on it please yeah yeah hopefully that's still the case um but yeah because we don't really know anything about the story beyond those rumored concerns that it's too similar to the mandalorian and obviously that sounds like something that's about to change Mm, um, yeah it's hard to know how else to be invested other than the fact that we like obi-wan kenobi as a character yeah but uh, uh, (laughs) from my perspective a simple way to get around this would be to have more diverse protagonists Mm. or yeah just kind of break out of that mold a little yeah you mean just not rely on all these pre-existing characters so much well yeah i mean the mandalorian himself is a new character yeah um and i really like what they're doing with him um so i just mean like in terms of and it sounds like that's what they've realized they need to do kind of break away from that mold of like the lone male figure yeah, because um, of, of course they have Cassian Andor too and I know he has the K2SO sidekick and presumably that will be a kind of a core component of the series but at the end of the day they announced these three shows all with male protagonists yeah I just I don't know <laughs> no I know what you mean it feels like going too much in the other direction after with the theatrical films you obviously have all the sequel trilogy films where Rey is the protagonist and then you have Rogue One where you have Jin as the protagonist and so that's obviously leaning very female compared to the older films, which is great in my opinion, and I'm sure yours. Um, and yeah, now we're, that we're into the TV shows, it does seem to be leaning very heavily towards male protagonists. And also, and yeah, I, I think it would just be nice to see things mixed up more, like in terms of gender, in terms of race, like there's so many options out there and yeah you can just end up telling more vibrant and invigorating stories i think a lot of the time just by opening your mind to different characters and different types of journeys yeah and it's star wars you can do anything the possibilities are limitless you could have an alien protagonist yeah it gives a twilight and i'm not i'm definitely not trying to trivialize the importance of having um the cassian andor series and the mandalorian obviously are both led by men of color that's mm. huge yeah but in terms of the actual premise of following these like often you know tortured emotionally conflicted trying to do the right thing but i don't know exactly what characterization they were thinking for obi-wan with this series because presumably it's going to offer something new beyond what we have in revenge of the sith and what we have in a new hope but um they did sound like they were going to be too similar so just think outside the box a lot more yeah 
exactly so hopefully we'll get that because yeah I think it's sorely needed <laughs> okay cool so just very quickly we're not going to talk about this in depth because we'll talk about it when we know what it actually is basically um, but basically there's a tweet from Clayton Sandell at ABC and he's saying that on 24th of February which isn't long we will learn finally what Project Luminous is so I know that people are just waiting with bated breath and people are just beside themselves about this um, but yeah it's coming and we'll talk yeah, about I'm, it I'm glad to just have a date because <laughs> the mystery surrounding this has been absolutely ridiculous because I don't know if they forgot to or it's been intentional but there's been no hook as to why anyone would be interested in this beyond this working title mm, yeah so it's like okay you keep teasing this thing but we don't have any idea what it is i know there are rumors swirling now but there weren't for a long time yeah so ex expectations were getting pretty high so he says in the tweet he says don't hold your breath for any movie tv game tie-ins so it's like is this a publishing thing that's the impression that i get to be honest at this stage and they had a lot of the established Star Wars authors, um, you know, they announced them as being involved early on. So that makes sense. But it's like, do you, do you want to kind of get people that amped up for something that's going to be... I, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's hard for me not to be salty about it because it's just been teased for such a ridiculously long time with no information that it's like, I don't know what you're expecting here in terms of like how you're going to manage fan expectations or what people will be speculating that it is and then kind of being let down when it's not the thing that they were hoping for yeah so i think the rumor from jason ward is that it's going to be about the high republic era which is a few hundred years before the prequels um but yeah even that isn't really a hook in itself you know it's like okay so it takes place in the history fine <laughs> like why why is this interesting what's going on then but again like i'm sure much more will be revealed when this announcement comes and it's the job of that announcement to give people a reason to care so hopefully it does its job effectively we will see yeah i was saying to you earlier so far it's just been like we're working on star wars stuff yeah <laughs> which we would assume anyway <laughs> you don't have to announce that yeah, it's like everyone on Lucasfilm just are like on a long-term sabbatical, like just doing nothing. <laughs> like it's possible, I guess, but yeah, seems a bit odd. Yeah, oh, it's guys. strange because yeah, it's like it might well end up being one of my favorite new Star Wars stories, but I have no idea because there's nothing substantial out there. Um, so it's kind of we're in this weird limbo. Yeah, exactly. And I think for me, like the aspects of star wars that always interest me the most the characters exactly. so the era on its own it has no appeal to me you know you could say I mean, sorry you finish your thoughts yeah like any era can be interesting essentially you know any part of the timeline can be really fascinating really interesting it just depends on what characters you put in that timeline and what stories you are choosing to tell about those characters. That's what makes me care, basically. So yeah, just need more information. Yeah. I, I'm broadly on the same page, but I will say I'm thankful at least that they're going for something that's not in the original trilogy era. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I can totally empathise with that because, 
yeah, talk about beating a dead horse at this point. <laughs> Sorry, that's maybe a bit too harsh. Well, you, obviously you know I mean. not for everyone. That's the thing. I think this is kind of the the big push and pull that's going on in the Star Wars fandom right now. Lots of people would probably prefer to stay in that original trilogy era forever and ever. That's their that's their Star Wars. That's their yeah. kind of home, as it were, in the galaxy. But we're of the mind that it's best to explore lots of different things. But of course, as you say, primarily it's about the story and characters that you can tell with whatever era you're going for and how that world will support the themes and the characters um, that you're trying to, to go for in your story. So at the end of the day, it all has to come together to feel relevant and meaningful. Um, and we just don't have enough information on this so far to, to know whether that's the case. So, yeah, exactly. More will be revealed soon. So we'll be here to talk about it when it is. Okay. Cool. So now we are on to the main event. Obviously, with Valentine's Day coming up, we wanted to do something themed and something romantic. So to keep things very British, we're going to talk about Star Wars snogging. Yeah. So I think you were the one to first suggest this proposition. Kirsty is a topic that we talk about for Valentine's Day. So talk a little bit about your impetus for wanting to discuss this. Uh, well, I, I did want to have something for Valentine's Day, and I we both love romance in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. There's a significant amount of kissing in Star Wars, in some eras more than others, which we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's important to the story sometimes, because it reflects the relationships between the characters, and that's kind of at the core, as, as we were saying. For our love of Star Wars, it's about the characters, it's about the relationships between them. And um, you get various iterations of kissing. You get kisses on the cheek, you get kisses on the forehead, you get kisses on the hand, and you get kisses on the lips. And yeah, yeah all important, um, all kind of conveying specific things within their context. And we'll talk about that for sure too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we kind of wanted to talk about some of our favourite Star Wars smooches. Exactly, and there's so many to choose from. That's what I learned about as part of this exercise. Um, at the beginning of this, I want to thank a Reddit user called The Only Matches Malone, which, yeah, Reddit usernames, they're great, um, because they went through and itemized literally every single kiss in live action Star Wars, which I cannot un- understate how immensely helpful this was. Um, yeah, so kudos to you whoever you are it's much appreciated um yeah so you happy to start off with all the anakin and padme smooches kirsty so it feels like a natural starting point yes definitely okay cool so the first one that we get is they're on the boo they've been sent off together for mysterious reasons potentially by palpatine who wants them to fall in love um And yeah, they're on the balcony having this tortured conversation about feelings and stuff. And the sand, this is where the sand conversation happens. Um, But yeah, then they're getting very close, they're getting very intimate. And then Anakin leans in for a kiss and Padme's feeling it. What do you give this kiss out of 10, Kirsty? 10. Yeah, it's one of the best Uh, ones, isn't it? I love it. Yeah, (laughs) it's really good. It's so well done because, of course, Across the Stars is such beautiful music and it swells as they kiss and then it abruptly breaks off as Padme pulls away. Yep. Yeah. I don't know if this is like a contro- controversial opinion in the fandom 
these days. I know there's been lots of back and forth as to what people feel about the prequels, what people feel about Anakin and Padme's relationship. But as a 12-year-old girl who saw this in the cinema with a bunch of friends, I fully bought into Anakin and Padme's, like, star-crossed romance. Mm. It's, like, old-worldy and stilted, sure, but you kind of buy the reasons why, because he's a horny, repressed virgin monk and she's a supposedly worldly senator who should really know better, but somehow doesn't. Um, And that is really intriguing. It makes you want to know more about her. Yeah. No, it's like Um, re-watching the scene. I was really struck by how childlike and naive even Padme seemed. You know, it's obviously there in this gorgeous setting where Padme has all these like fond childhood memories like of mm. being there and she's talking about some of those memories to Anakin and yeah they are both so young in so many ways even though Padme's older than him and is definitely more mature because yeah come on she is still quite naive in some ways you know and quite childish because I guess it does sort of put you on hold to a certain extent you know when you're a bloody queen when you're 12 or 13 whatever ridiculously young age she was because she won't have been thinking about like boys and stuff like that when she was queen because yeah she just had way too much on her plate so I know that the Clone Wars goes into her other romantic prospects and stuff and it's not like Anakin's the only man in her life but she has limited experience as well I think and it comes through in this whole scene and especially in this kiss which is still a pretty damn kiss great kiss for a first one so yeah 10 out of 10 yeah i think it all plays together really well the idea that this romance has to be kept secret that they're both pretty young and like you say kind of inexperienced but part of these forces that are larger than themselves they feel kind of bound by the responsibilities of their various roles within this world um and for padme i just love that mixture of like reckless romance like she really likes this guy but, you know, she's also a practical, grounded senator and she needs to to go with what's right. And, um, yeah, I think it's really appealing. Yeah. So all the objections in all these love scenes of Anakin and Padme, they all come from Padme, basically, because Anakin is just totally besotted. He's just like, yeah, I want to be with you. Let's kiss. Let's do more than kiss. Um, it's very, very clear. <laughs> Especially in the like black leather fireplace scene, which we're not going to talk about so they don't kiss there, but he's just so horny, it's ridiculous. Um, and- I mean, can you blame him? Look, her entire look here with the dress and the hair, she looks amazing. <laughs> it's, it is so funny because obviously during that whole scene when she's saying, we can't be together, I'm a senator, and she's wearing this like incredibly sexy like dungeon master. <laughs> i'm sorry but it is it is so funny but even in this lakeside scene with the kiss she's got this backless dress and he starts like awkwardly stroking her which is like the funniest thing (laughs) he can't help it she's just too beautiful my favorite part though is his confused expression when she breaks it off (laughs) he's like what did i do wrong oh no (laughs) yeah yeah and of course he expresses it later. He's like, you shouldn't have kissed me because now I <laughs> I know what I'm missing. Yeah, like it just ups the intensity basically for all their subsequent interactions. Um, and yeah, that kiss is obviously like a primer for the big, big one that we get between them as they're going into the Geonosis arena, um, which is 
obviously where you get Padme being like, ah, to hell with it. Yeah, we're in love. I don't care. I'm going to give you a big old snog. Um, which she does and she goes for it and it's a really beautiful kiss I think all the kisses in Attack of the Clones are so well filmed they all look so beautiful they're all so picturesque you could take any one of them and just make it the cover of a romance novel and it would Mm -hmm. just be like chef's kiss (laughs) yeah I think maybe this is my favourite one Mm. it's so hard to to decide because like you say like you think about all of them you're like oh maybe this is the best one yeah Is this one 11 out of 10, Kirsty? Maybe. Or maybe they're all 10s. I don't know. But, you know, I love that it it comes with her confession. And you have to wonder. It's like, okay, so if you didn't think you were about to die, would you ever give in? Because she just, like you say, throw caution to the wind. She says, I truly, deeply love you. And before we die, I want you to know. Yeah. So if they weren't about to die, (laughs) would she be like, nope. Yeah, I feel like maybe through the process of having the kiss with him, she's like, oh yeah, I want more of this. Let's <laughs> not die. Because then when they're actually in the arena, like with obviously thousands of people spectating, she kisses him again. So that's caution, like thrown to the wind and trampled into the ground at that point, I think. And like how Obi-Wan doesn't notice any of this. It's like, <laughs> God, you're a moron. Tell you what, what rewatching the Clone Wars recently... Obi-Wan is on another level with his flirting. He flirts with absolutely everyone. <laughs> so I think he knows. He's aware. Yeah, and I think doesn't the Clone Wars make it pretty explicit that he knows about Anakin and Padme, but he just keeps it on the down low because he Yeah, I mean, I honestly don't know how either of them thinks that they're being <laughs> stealthy because they're not at all. <laughs> oh my god, the Jedi, the, ant- the antics they get into. Yeah, um, but I just, you know, with these kisses, it's like, how do people dislike Attack of the Clones? Because mm-hmm. however you feel about certain parts of it, how can you hate it when it has these amazing kisses? Yeah. Like, I really love this whole aspect of it. Like, I find everything on Naboo so entertaining and wonderful. I, I think it's, there's lots of silly, like, action hijinks and stuff, you know, that I don't like so much. And that's what makes it a bit harder to watch. But yeah. I can't hate anything that gives me this sort of content. So, yeah, you just got to get through the bits that on this. Yeah, I just love it because it's so earnest and unabashed in the romance, you know? Oh, yeah. George no, really goes for into it. it. Yeah. And, yeah, this kiss specifically, the way their silhouettes come together, the angst, that love confession before certain death, it's so good. Yeah. No, it's really wonderful. And this is obviously where we get that full play out of the Across the Stars theme. It's, as you said before, it's sort of broken off with the first kiss when Padme pulls away. But here it's completely blossoming and it just swells and all oh, that music is just so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. And then you get another really, really beautiful kiss at their wedding at the end of the film. Um, which yeah they're just both such pretty people (laughs) (laughs) that's what it comes down to (laughs) they are like I'm sorry I know it sounds really superficial but it's just true they're both incredibly hot so it makes it really nice to see them kiss I think maybe my favourite part of this kiss is the need apparently to cut away to 3PO patting R2 on the head in the middle I feel like that was maybe a concession to like the five-year-olds in the audience who are like, eh, yucky. I wondered if it was like a sly callback to 3PO interrupting Han and Leia on the Falcon. Mm. 
Yeah, that's possible. He's just always there watching people kiss. <laughs> Freepio the creeper. That's <laughs> so oh funny. Yeah, there's lots of Freepio watching them kiss in the prequels as well. It's quite funny. There are several open-mouthed kisses in this scene, guys. It's racy. Yeah. No, they're super, super horny for each other. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of kiss that would be a bit too much if they were getting married in church. But they're like, fuck it, we're the only two humans around. <laughs> Which probably means it's not actually a legally binding marriage, but who cares? Maybe Free Pure and R2 count as the witnesses. Well, I think that's the world. idea, but <laughs> but then it's a secret marriage, so it's obviously not recorded anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, no. It's so beautiful, but it's also like that tragedy, isn't it? Because... Yeah, it's sort of like the last moment of pure joy that we see between them. Because then as soon as you get into Revenge of the Sith, everything takes a critical downturn. Well, at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, he has the happiest moment of his life. Oh, he does. But I have feelings it's ominous. about foreshadowing. Exactly, it is ominous, ominous, for sure. Yep. Yeah, this is like they're bathed in light. They're by the beautiful lake where they had their first kiss. You know, it kind of comes full circle. But yeah, you're right. At the end of the second act, when they're together and everything looks good, it's like, oh, yeah, this is tragedy. (laughs) Yeah. This won't end well, will it? (laughs) Yeah. No, you really just could not have chosen a better setting for, like, your epic love story than Naboo slash Italy, where they actually filmed it. Mm. Because, yeah, it's just the most gorgeous scenic place. And yeah, it's like a total aesthetic and it's perfect. So yeah, at the end of season one in the Clone Wars, they have a kiss where <laughs> this is actually a pretty funny one <laughs> because oh, it, the whole context adds a lot more to Anakin and Padme's relationship in terms of him being quite possessive and controlling and right. however consciously quite emotionally manipulative because the context is they're in Padme's office. Um, he's kind of trying to guilt her into leaving for work and joining him on a couple's getaway and she's... Like, no, I'm really working on something important here. I can't just leave. And Mm. then he's like, oh, so you care about that more than me, which is kind of gross. And then then he kisses her and then they have to hide because Bail Organa's coming in. So, well, (laughs) he has to hide. He goes under her desk. And then she ends up leaving with Bail to go to the Senate. They're putting in a vote. And then she's got his lightsaber, which is pretty important for what happens later. Um... But yeah, it's just kind of a funny insight into how they have to hide their relationship from their friends and co-workers and how it's really not very subtle and anyone with a brain would figure it out instantly. <laughs> yes. But yeah, like I was saying earlier, part of why Clone Wars is so good is that you get more to the evolution of Anakin and Padme's relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah, these two, <laughs> they share one brain cell just like Rolo. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love all the, like, near misses where they're so close to other people seeing them and stuff. And it's like, guys, this shouldn't be fooling anyone. It's just ridiculous. Um, Okay, cool. So then we get into the first kisses on Coruscant when Anakin and Padme are reunited after that stellar opening sequence where they're rescuing Palpy. Um... (laughs) And yeah, the first thing that struck me upon rewatching this is how damn dark the way in terms of the kisses are, in terms of how they're filmed. Because compared to Attack of the Clones, where everything's all sunny and bright, here people are bathed in shadow. 
And again, it's just that like unsubtle visual foreshadowing that Star Wars loves to do. Um, but yeah, I feel it's very effective because you need to set people up for the fact that, yeah, it's not going to end well, guys. Yeah, and if you have a character explicitly saying, this is the happiest moment of my life, it's like, oh, oh dear. <laughs> Don't know what you've just brought onto yourself, Anakin. You need to watch your words. Yeah, and I do like how, again, in contrast with Attack of the Clones, the kiss, or the kisses, I suppose, kind of bookending this scene together, they're not really the focus. Mm. Um, it's it's more about the news of her being pregnant and his reaction to that. And when they embrace and kiss after that, the camera's zooming out and the scene transitions. So it's a huge moment for them, but the kiss is not the point. They're in a, an established relationship. Um yeah that's just it's very different from attack of the clones and i think that's a conscious choice yeah and i think that's pretty much the case of all the kisses in revenge of the sith for the most part they're filmed at a distance and the point of them is yeah we know these people are in love we don't need to sell people on the fact that this is a big romance anymore because people know um so yeah it's more just about reinforcing the relationship between them so that the tragic aspect of it hits that much harder when shit truly hits the fan basically Mm -hmm. yeah and you also get some unsubtle use of the whole idea of the gloved hand versus the human hand which you see across all the scenes where he's holding her basically and i do think there's some significance in that in terms of where the hands are (laughs) sorry that sounds a bit dirty (laughs) um um, and what they're doing at any particular moment let's put it that way (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I lowered the tone. I went there. Um, Yeah. No, I mean, as the Skytalkers girls say, the hands are a language. So Mm. I think you're onto something there. And you see that in the sequel trilogy as well with the idea of Kylo's gloved hand and Ben's bare hand. Yeah. And I do think that's consciously echoed when Ray revisits that idea in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. That, That contrast between this is Kylo's hand, this is Ben's hand. It's like, what's Anakin and what's Vader here? Yeah, absolutely. It's just a helpful shorthand, I think, because... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, God, I, do, I was not even conscious that I was doing that. It's a helpful shorthand, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Sorry, I need to leave that in. That's too funny. Because you get the sequence later on when Anakin visits her, basically after he's become Darth Vader, and like in the midst of the Jedi Purge, but before he's gone to Mustafar. And... Yeah, it's just a true, true tragic scene because it's basically both of them in this state of deep denial about what's actually going on and being like, oh, I'm trying to protect you and stuff. And Padme still desperately wanting to believe the best in him, even though he's gone, basically, at this point. Yeah, there's lots of smooches, but again, as before, they're sort of fleeting ones. Because, yeah, the husband and wife, of course, they're going to kiss upon a big dramatic reunion like this. Yeah, it's more like a hello and a goodbye kind of thing. Obviously still with passion, but like you say, it's not the focus. Whereas in Attack of the Clones, it's like a courtship. It's like, ooh, we're leading up to a kiss, you know? Yeah, exactly. The main thing I want to say is that for their final kiss, you do get this like shot of him with the naked hand on her neck mm-hmm. which yeah again the human hand the good hand according to this language of hands that Star Wars is using and then later on on Mustafar 
you have him extending the gloved hand to strangle her, basically, with the force, which is obviously the ultimate dark side act and the ultimate act of evil that he could commit in relation to Padme. And yeah, it just makes that whole passing between them on the balcony all the more tragic because he was still, in a way, Anakin at that point. But then when he's on Mustafar, it's like, no, it's too late now and he's lost sight of what they once had and why they were together in the first place really so Mm. yeah it's very sad yeah and if we're going for the reverse anadala thing with ray and kylo in the sequel trilogy again you you do see a continuation of that bare hand versus the gloved hand when he's reaching out to her in the throne room asking her to join him versus even the moment in the last jedi when they're touching hands in the hut and he has a bare hand we actually see the glove coming off, so it's clearly like a conscious element of the symbolism there. Or in The Rise of Skywalker, when he's cupping her neck before they kiss and he revives her. Mm. Yeah. And that's with the human hand. Yeah. Oh, God, the pain train. I know. <laughs> it we'll, never we'll ends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So is there anything you want to say to round off the discussion of Anakin and Padme? Like Overall, I'd say they score very highly. They have excellent kisses. I feel like the prequel trilogy is so out there with its romance. It's such a focus. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And I appreciate the prequels for that. Yeah, they're absolutely. It's the whole Anakin and Padme story. The crux of that is that it's a forbidden love story between people from different sectors in society. They shouldn't be in love. They're not allowed to be in love, but they are anyway. And how do they overcome that or not overcome it, as it turns out to be? Mm. Um, so yeah, that was a really conscious choice on George's part, and I'm glad he chose to tell that story. Yeah, and this stuff is being revisited and explored and recontextualized in the new Vader comics. Um, so if you're a fan of Anakin and Padme's relationship, I highly recommend those. Really interesting stuff and some really cool parallels between Vader and Luke's relationship and his relationship with Padme as well. Awesome. I still need to read those, so I definitely plan to get the latest runs. It looks really interesting. Yeah, I swear the most interesting Star Wars storytelling at the moment is taking place in the comics. Oh yeah, I agree. That Ben Solo comic is so good. I can't wait for it to wrap up so we can talk about it. So yeah, Mm -hmm. great content. Okay, so shall we move on to Solo? Because of course there there aren't any kisses in Rogue One. No, just a hug. So, yeah... (laughs) Which is profound and important for those characters, but it's not a kiss. So for the purposes of this discussion, we're going to skip Rogue One. Exactly. See up. Uh, yeah, so the first time we see like a proper snog in Solo is extremely early in the film. It's... <laughs> Which I I liked that. Yeah. I think we're both, probably for both of us when we were watching it, when that happened, it's like, okay, I'm already on board. Or do you remember before the movie came out, some people were like, maybe Kira and Hannah, brother and sister. (laughs) Oh, really? I did not remember that. Yeah, I don't know if it was a huge theory, but I definitely remember seeing it as a point of speculation. Mm. Um, And I was like, seems like she's going to be a love interest based on the marketing. But I think a significant portion of the Star Wars fandom always believes that the, the, the wool is being pulled over their eyes and there's like something more secretive and there's gonna be a big twist so yeah it's understandable but But. yeah that kiss happens pretty early on on Corellia and it's a good one yeah I think it's basically the first thing that we see them do together (laughs) 
Um, like, and it's pretty clearly just because they want to communicate very, very clearly that these two are a couple, they're an item, mm. and they're passionately in love. Because the whole setup for Han and Kira is that they both have this same goal in that they want to escape from Lady Proxima and get off Corellia. And yeah, they're united in that, and they're also united because they love each other. So yeah, it's just killing lots of birds with one stone, basically, mm-hmm. in terms of visual storytelling. Yeah, I love this kiss because it is so... I mean, obviously the the setting and the context here, right down to their outfits and their hair, it's like... This is like 80s teenager aesthetic. Oh, 100%, and yeah. The passion and the enthusiasm and the excitement and their belief in this plan that's going to work and they can get to get away together from this horrible place... Um, the kiss kind of encompasses that it's a real optimism for the future they're so excited it's kind of sloppy it's endearing yeah they're just both so young like so I can't remember their exact ages but I know they're both meant to be teenagers when this Mm. is happening and yeah you're just like oh they're so cute yeah (laughs) and it's a lovely it's a lovely contrast from how their relationship evolves later on when they reunite exactly yeah then there's the second kiss just before they get taken to Lady Proxima um, which I think, again, it's just more of the same. It's reinforcing their trust in each other, the depth of their connection. Um, and yeah, and it obviously pays off because we then see Kira distract Lady Proxima to help them both get away. Um, yeah, so they're adorable. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. then we move into the Lando's Closet kiss, which, oh, that's a good one. It's kind of, you can count it as one or two kisses depending on the system you use, basically. Um, but, yeah, it's just really nice. I love how they get so into it that they actually start, like, falling back into the capes themselves. Yeah. And they're like, wow, this is going quite far. Like, it's probably the horniest kiss, I think. Because the thing is, with all the Anakin and Padme kisses, they're... Holding back. Yeah, they're, they're holding back, but they're also very like theatrical. You know, it's filmed very much in a classic romance way. Like we're in an old Hollywood and they'd have limits on how long people could kiss for because in the interests of good taste and propriety. And I feel like this kiss in Lando's closet, it just gives those the finger and it's like, no, we're really, really into this. Yeah, well, they're also somewhere that they think is private until, yes. of course, they're interrupted by Beckett. <laughs> Am I interrupting something? <laughs> Yes! But yeah, it's a contrast to like Anakin and Padme being on, you know, the lakeside and stuff like that. Um, where, of course, they're not surrounded by anyone, but still, it's like the, the setting is different, right? So this is in a closet, so they can push each other against the wall. And it's, I think, what's endearing about it is that it's a contrast in terms of how their relationship has evolved from the beginning. But to a, to an extent, at least Han is in denial of that. He thinks that they can just kind of go back to how they were before. So it yeah. is almost like a reverting to that teenage horniness. Um, well, yeah, like he pushes her and then she pushes him and they're falling into the capes. And even before that, he's gesturing towards the bed, which mm. is kind of shocking to see in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. No, it definitely you know, goes it's definitely, places. Yeah, because you get a lot of symbolism and kind of suggestiveness with the other Star Wars romances. Um, but this is pretty on the nose at what he's saying there (laughs) yeah no no holding back in solo basically and the music here is so romantic so it's it swells as he pushes her against the wall and she pushes him against the opposite wall and they're laughing it's really cute 
and yeah, and she's concerned that if he learns the truth, he's not going to want to do this with her. So it has an emotional weight to it as well that kind of is teased throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah, there's this whole tragedy basically underlying like almost all the interactions with Han and Kira because yeah, they're just operating under such different assumptions and beliefs about the other person because Kira in so many ways in Solo she reminds me a lot of Kylo Ren because she really does have that mentality of it's too late for me you know like I'm too deep into this criminality into this darkness and Han he's from an old life and he's from when I was a different person a more innocent person and there's no going back to that for me and yeah it's just heartbreaking so that kiss in the closet for her it's like this to come into this brief fantasy of oh wow maybe we can go back to that but she can't really hmm. i will say the main difference obviously you're not saying they're exactly the same but oh god no for kira she's trying to prevent han from falling into that way of life with her whereas obviously ben is trying to pull ray into it um and kind of reassure him that that he's on the right path and she should be joining him rather than him joining her kira throughout this entire movie and even her motivations at the end i think they're ambiguous but for my reading she's still trying to protect han to an extent oh yeah um, no 100 percent. like when i was comparing kira and kylo they're definitely not one-to-one by oh no means. i know sorry i'm, I'm just yeah. kind of expanding on your point yeah no no i totally see where you're coming from but yeah, I just love Kira. I know I've said it before, but she's one of my favourite characters. And yeah, Amelia just does a great job. Me too. Watching it again this week, I was like, there's so much potential for this character. They could really go further. I don't know if Amelia Clark would ever want to do a Disney Plus series, but there's a lot of fertile ground there because they really set things up at the end. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think the moral of the story here regarding this scene and some others that we'll talk about later, so much interrupting on the falcon yes you can't get moments <laughs> privacy can you <laughs> am i interrupting something yes <laughs> yes you are and you don't care does beckett have to like open a door to get in there as well i don't think so. well the, the closet is like open to the room but maybe the door was open like kind of around the corner i guess that continues like an anakin and padmo tradition of being secret but not that secret <laughs> Well, because I don't think Han is like... Kira probably more so is trying to conceal it because she's afraid of Dryden. Yes. But for Han, he's pretty open with Beckett. Like, yeah, this is about a girl and we're going to be together and she's going to be with us and you have to deal with it. And Beckett's like, you don't know her. You think you do, but you don't. Mm. Yeah. Han is just so naive throughout this whole movie. Yeah. He's just completely swept up, isn't he? Yeah. But he doesn't think he is, which is such a dangerous combination, so... Yeah, has that like cocky teenage arrogance where he thinks he knows everything, but you know nothing, young Solo. <laughs> um, yeah, then it sort of all culminates after Kira has killed Voss, and there's a fabulous smooch, really wonderful. I love what happens for her ponytail in that smooch; it's just glorious. Mm. Um, and yeah, of course, it's completely tragic because we know what happens pretty much straight after that. Yeah first she kisses him and then he kisses her and she knows it's a goodbye he thinks it's a new beginning yeah oh god go go i'm right behind you (laughs) 
reviewing these kisses, Kirsty, honestly, it's made me realise how there's a very high proportion of Star Wars kisses that are actually tragic kisses mm-hmm. because they're leading up to a parting or people being separated or there being some awful development in the relationship. Yeah. And yeah, it's a bummer. No, it's interesting because obviously romance is a an important component of Star Wars, but it's also like if you live in the Star Wars universe, you probably shouldn't fall in love. Probably bad. Yeah, everyone should just be Jedi, be celibate. Much easier that way. <laughs> um so yeah, I mean this this point where she's saying go I'm right behind you. I think some people see it as a betrayal, which I understand. I don't really see it that way. But I guess others do because she's an ambiguous character. She's that femme fatale. And I I think Kira really does care for Han, but she doesn't want Maul to know about him so he can escape and have a life. It's kind of similar to what Beckett's saying um, at the beginning before they take the job. He's like, are you sure? Because if you do this, you're in this life for good. Mm. I don't think Han can fully appreciate that yet. So the whole way through the movie, he is being incredibly naive and she's been trying to explain to him how things work. You know, as they're going up in the elevator not the kind of game you win the goal is just to stay in as long as you can and he doesn't really listen to her so she just kind of has to take the reins yeah exactly and send him out of her life and oh god these two yeah it's really sad because kira just deserves so much better no she does she got completely screwed over by life basically an impression that is fully reinforced by most wanted because i really like that yeah, I guess because we don't have the story of what happens next to her, but you get the impression that she's she's trying to play the game that she's in. You know, as she says, like it's it's not you don't win, you're just trying to survive. Um and that's what she's doing. Um so we don't know what happens when she meets small. But um yeah, I, I'm afraid for her at that point. <laughs> she's obviously taking a huge risk. Yeah, it's like, how well does she know the game that she's playing? <laughs> yeah, but I just, the kisses, I just really appreciate that they, they do really go for it with this romance. And I wasn't sure before we got solo that they were going to have the nerve to do that because Han and Leia's relationship is so sacred for Star Wars fans, you know? Yeah. Um, and obviously you get the sense at the beginning of A New Hope that Han Solo is, he's been around the block. Um, Presumably after this heartbreak, I mean, you could see that he could like, have all sorts of relationships, you know? I think this yeah. is what kind of calcifies his heart until then Leia melts it. Yeah. I think that's absolutely what they were going for. And I'm glad they took a chance on this Han and Kira relationship because, yeah, like, I understand where why people who really love Han and Leia together would want to think of that as, like, true love and, like, he's never and had a great love before. Yeah, but you can have more than one great love. Exactly. It doesn't undermine that. Yeah, no, exactly. I think, if anything, it enhances it because it's like, wow, this is a man who felt so betrayed and he probably felt like he could never love again. But then he fell head over heels for Leia to such an extent where, yeah, he was able to feel that joy and that's beautiful. Yeah, and I love Leia's of a romance too and Leia, Princess of Alderaan. That's really well done. <laughs> Kirsty, when you first said that, my mind immediately went to Luke. <laughs> Oh, it's <laughs> like Kirsty, what are you saying? I mean, I love that too, but for very different reasons. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong with you, girl? We'll get into that. Yes, we will. 
Um, how about getting into that now, actually? Well, actually, I, I wanted to talk about another kiss. Oh, okay. In Solo. We do have it. Val and Beckett. Oh my God, yeah, we do. We Gosh, do. Sorry, guys. So I it's obviously not that. It's not a focus. They are more minor characters, but I love seeing an established happy relationship in Star Wars with confident displays of affection. Obviously, it's going to go south like it always does. Um, And it's kind of, yeah, it's setting the scene for that because it's so happy and that's clearly so comfortable and you get the sense they've been together for a long time. But it's a lovely contrast to that angst that we often see between the younger romantic couples in the franchise. Yeah. There's none of that like horny neediness. It's more just like, no, we're, we're a couple, we're established, we're confident in this relationship. Yeah. And I love the context of that whole scene because they're obviously around the campsite. They're talking about the job they're about to do and Val's really unsure about it. And she's like, do, you, do these guys know what they're doing? I'm not feeling good about this. Beckett's trying to reassure her. And then they kind of get onto the topic of why Hannah's even doing this. And he's, yeah, there's a girl. And... um and Val is kind of comes back to her relationship with Becca and she says everybody needs somebody even a broken down old crook like this one and then she initiates the kiss and we see it from Han's perspective across the fire so you get both their side profiles and it's just this lovely sweet moment which unfortunately again is setting things up to go wrong (laughs) but it's enjoyable in the moment so yeah no it is a really sweet moment I remember really resenting in Solo how we don't really see Beckett respond to Val dying that much. Obviously, he responds in the moment, but there's no like real long-term impact. You know, he doesn't really talk about her again after it initially happens. And I've yeah, actually, actually, after revisiting it this week, I've kind of changed my mind on that. Okay, yeah. So, how did it strike you this time? It strikes me that he doesn't express it externally apart from obviously punching Han (laughs) but um it's a turning point for his character right he's pretty open and happy when he's with Val and when Rio's there and you got the sense that these people have been together for a long time they're comfortable showing affection he embraces Han into the fold of the group and then after that it's trust no one right someone's gonna betray you and even at the end when he's dying and he's in Han's arms, he's saying, I really was going to go and play that Val Accord. And it kind of comes full circle. And he's still holding on to that love. And I think mm. that heartbreak kind of shaped the end of his life. Because okay. he had nothing else to live for. He like became truly cynical. Yeah. I'm really glad it struck you like that. Just hearing you say that makes me want to actually watch the whole movie again. So Yeah, I think it's quite understated. Because I, I was totally of the same mind after first seeing it. I was like, wait, what? It just moves on? But I think because of that, the whole time it's maybe affecting Beckett in a way he's not even conscious of. And that kind of facilitates his downfall. Yeah. No, awesome. I'll rewatch it soon. Yeah. I feel inspired now. So thank you. (laughs) Let let me know what you think when you have time to watch it. Yeah. No, I definitely will. We could always do a solo revisited thing at some point as well. It's been ages since we spoke about it in any depth. So. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Also, I know it's not a kiss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we obviously don't have time to cover all the hugs in Star Wars, but I d- I love the embrace between Chewie and Sagwa when they're on Castle. It's just really nice to see the two Wookies kind of embracing. Yes. No, and Wookie <laughs> hugs are the best, aren't they? Especially when yeah. you have two Wookies. Exactly. Just all so the he fuzz. Like, there's a forehead touch. It's nice because I remember when the trailers came out and we saw that we were like, "Is that Chewie's wife?" <laughs> <laughs> no context. Yeah. 
Now, I feel like I have the thought in my head that when two, when Wookiees like, do the whole forehead thing, that is basically kissing in that culture. Right. Maybe. Are they just friends or are they relatives? Do you know? They don't know each other. It's just that he's also a Wookiee on, on Castle. So oh, I see. Okay. Briefly, Chewie and Han separate so he can go and rescue Sagwa and then they reunite and get away. That makes um, sense. So that's him saying goodbye. But, right. Um, yep. Just in general, there's a lot of love in Solo because, of course, there's Lando and Elfrey too. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. So let's move on to the original trilogy. So I don't have the screen cap slash breakdown here because I was getting a bit icked out by it. Um, <laughs> but we obviously do have several kisses between Luke and Leia. What do you feel about these kisses, Kirsty? Uh, <laughs> They're I my favourites! Feel... Sorry. This is obviously stretching. Um, but I feel like if you look at A New Hope, of course they hadn't decided at that point that Leia and Luke were related. Mm-hmm. But even even revisiting it with that context, you can kind of make your peace with it because she kisses Luke on the cheek twice in A New Hope. Yeah. So it's like the context is somewhat questionable because she kisses him on the cheek before they like swing across that thing to get away from the troopers, which is like this classic romantic epic thing. Yeah. But that kind of thing is also revisited in Return of the Jedi after George had decided they were related. So I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> oh, George. And she's wearing the bikini. <laughs> oh, George. So, so it might, I, I do think in A New Hope it's okay because it's just kind of cheek kisses. Yeah. It's Empire that it gets really weird. Yeah. And have you seen the extended version of the scene in the medical bay where Luke leans in for a kiss? No. That's a thing that happens, and he's clearly very horny for her, and it's very disturbing to watch. Wait, is this the medical bay at the beginning of Empire or the end? Yes, at the beginning. Okay, All yeah, right. not the end. I don't want to torment you too much with the thought of that. Um, <laughs> it's just basically more leading to what comes later. There's a lot. Oh, of maybe like, I have actually. Yeah. Yeah, there's like lots of redundant dialogue and stuff. It's beforehand comes in because in the movie, as presented in the final cut. It's really just like a kiss to make Han jealous. Exactly. Basically. You'd get no in- indication at all that she's full sincere romantic love for Luke. Yeah, it's actually quite mean. <laughs> yeah, she's using him, basically. Because Luke, on the other hand, he seems pretty pleased. He's like, yeah, get in there. <laughs> he is, though. And again, they weren't meant to be brother and sister, but yeah. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a follow-on to their kind of established competitiveness over Leia, which of course is icky, but in A New Hope when uh, Han's like, do you think a princess and a guy like me? And he's like, no. Um, It's kind of like, oh, he thinks he's winning the game here. Yeah, exactly. So it's that smug little smile. It's just like, oh, I want to punch (laughs) you right now, Luke. It's a funny scene, though. Oh, it is funny, and I love it. Don't get me wrong. Like I only say that because it makes me invested in the rivalry, and I'm Team Han in that situation, as any right-thinking person would be. I think what's odd, and again, I'm kind of side-eyeing Leia here, is that at the end of the movie, after kissing Han like three times, and obviously we're going to go into each of those, and telling him that she loves him, which Luke doesn't know at this point, she then kisses Luke on the lips. (laughs) It's briefly, it's more like a peck. Yes. After she rescues him from Cloud City. But still, no wonder some people still thought that Luke and Leia were endgame at this point. <laughs> yeah, I do think about all those like fanzines from like the late 70s and early 80s where 
some people were so adamant that Luke and Leia were going to be the couple. And yeah, that ended badly for them. But I don't blame them because if you think at this point, maybe Han's gone. Obviously, that's that's horrible for Leia because she did confess that she loved him. But at the end, then she's kissing Luke and then the film ends with them side by side. It's like, okay. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, there's way more material to go there, go on there than there is for many, many ships. So it's not an unreasonable thought at all. Um, yeah, it's just interesting. And yeah, the whole, like, we're brother and sister thing <laughs> is handled in a very entertaining way in the Han and Leia kisses. So I'm looking forward to getting there as well. But yeah, like, just re-watching the Luke and Leia ones, I really was struck by how there's just no real chemistry there, you know? No. There's no heat whatsoever, whereas there's all the heat in the world with Han and Leia. So, yeah, they clearly made the right choice by deciding which direction to go in there. Yeah, totally. I think the difference is, and I'm sure everyone will feel differently about this, and I know there's definitely some questionable aspects to Han and Leia, mm. but Luke and Leia is very much about what Luke wants. Yes. And again, depending on your reading of Han and Leia, and it, it does get kind of iffy because she's kind of implying, no, I'm not interested. But then if you go with what the story is actually telling you, she kind of is, but she's hiding it from herself or in some level of denial. Yeah, I just, I just think that maybe there is more respect given to Leia in terms of her relationship with Han. Whereas Luke, there's no real internality for Leia and how she feels about him there. Yeah. It's just like, oh, she will kiss him because he is the hero. Yeah. Whereas Han and Leia, at least they... It's part of the story. Like, oh, you're afraid of how you feel about me. Yeah. Like, it matters what Leia feels. Whereas I don't think that's really part of the story with Luke and Leia at all. Yeah. It just feels like a trope with Luke and Leia, whereas it feels like an actual relationship with Han and Leia. So, yeah, mm. that's why it works so well. Yeah, I mean, the first time Luke sees her, it's in a hollow and Leia isn't aware of that. So that immediately sets her up as object. Yeah. The ultimate male gaze moment, basically. Hmm. So I, don't, I, I know that... I'm, I'm not going to go as far as to say that Han Leia is a female gaze story or anything like that. But I, I do think it, it... Like I said, I think it does respect at least the concept of Leia having her own feelings and her own thoughts about what's going on. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, so with that said, let's move into the Han and Leia moments. So the first kiss, when Leia's trying to fix the panel and Han comes sliding up behind her like a bit of a creep. And there's some admittedly creepy dialogue where he's... Yeah, it wouldn't fly today, basically, to write dialogue like that. But you can't deny that there's a real electricity between them and it really, really works. Because, yeah, the writing in Empire is just top-notch. Um, and, yeah, that kiss is just fabulous. I'm not sure if it's, like... I think it's a top three Star Wars kiss for me. I, I think say. it might be the ultimate Star Wars kiss. Yeah. But maybe that's just because it is, it's Empire, you know? It's always thought of that way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'll, yeah, I can't pick a single favourite Star Wars kiss, but... Yeah, I think it's what people think of in general when they think of Star Wars romances. It's the Han Leia on the Falcon. Yeah. I happen to like nice men. I'm a nice man. Which I love, by the way, how they echoed that in Solo when he's trying to tell Kira that he's the bad guy. <laughs> and she's like, no, you're the good guy. <laughs> 
you don't you don't know it but you are yeah deep down you have a heart of gold mate yeah and she was right no she was she had a very good instinct yeah they just make for beautiful kisses and i love how they're shot with the framing it's just perfect um yeah it's nice and clear it's so romantic it's beautiful and yeah then after this one on the falcon there's a few very brief ones you get like um hand kissing layer on the forehead when they're on cloud city for example and then you get leia kissing hand on the forehead when he's in the jail cell after he's been tortured so that sort of thing those are very fleeting moments I like how quickly evolves into that easy, carefree affection. Yeah. Because you get the impression, obviously, at the beginning of Empire that some time has passed and they have feelings for each other, but Hannah's obviously a bit more forthcoming and trying to coax it out of Leia. But she, she's she been holding on to it and she's reserved and she's kind of like, no, okay, he's, this just isn't going to happen. But then it does. And it very click, quickly evolves into like an established relationship where they're they're comfortable just kissing each other on the forehead in these situations yeah it's a real magic trick to be honest in terms of how it's developed so quickly and so effectively because by the time you get to the carbon freezing chamber you completely buy into it as this all-time romance slash love affair there's no question in your mind and you forget that like an hour ago they were just bickering and yeah there wasn't that commitment there that there was at the end Yeah, and talking about that kiss in the carbonite freezing chamber, I think that might be the ultimate Star Wars kiss for me. Okay. Just, yeah. Like, it's just everything, you know? It's like the ultimate drama. Like, it's obviously he's about to be torn away from her, about to be frozen. Like, is he going to die? What's going to happen next? So you have that huge suspense. And it's also this complete revelation of her feelings where she's like, yeah, I'm completely committing to this now. Because it's the whole I love you, I know, you know, which is the quintessential romantic dialogue for Star Wars. And yeah, it's just a great, beautiful smidge. It is. And I, you know, I, I, I know all of the stuff about Empire has been said a million times, but I really do think the whole Bogart Bacall screwball element of Leia and Han bickering, but secretly having these intense feelings for each other is just so classic. You yeah, know? you can't exactly. beat that. It's a very old model for a, a love story, but it's so effective and it's so well executed. That, yeah, yeah, it's perfect. You could just buy it based on their natural chemistry as actors. So. Exactly. Both very talented folks. Um, okay, cool. So then we'll skip on to Return of the Jedi. And you get another great one where Leia reveals that she was boss school along. She takes the helmet off and she gives Han a big old kiss. And I really like this one for how in control of the situation she is compared to him. Because obviously poor Han at this point is completely bewildered and disorientated. So he's just been released from the Carbonite and he's all kind of helpless. Whereas Leia is the one who's like got all the control in this situation. And yeah, she just goes into it because she knows that's the most effective way of communicating that she is who she is. And yeah, it's a great moment. Yeah, and if you think about the last time they saw each other, Han's like, oh, Chewie, you've got to take care of the princess. Mm. But here, Leia's taking care of him, and he's the one in a very vulnerable position. Yeah, exactly. It's a nice reversal in some ways of that first kiss between them. Whereas obviously Han is in the one with the power in the situation. 
and he's like controlling it a bit whereas Leia is very much in control here and yeah it's really nice yeah I would say the, the clearest example of that reversal or at least that evolution of the dynamic in Return of the Jedi has got to be the I love you I know kind of mirroring yeah of course yeah who are you someone who loves you well I mean later on when when he says I, I love you when oh, is that by, the... when they're by the blast doors? Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, I no, it's okay. That. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. She's yeah, just yeah. more comfortable now, and and he's the one expressing that he loves her. Yeah. No, exactly. It's really nice. Um. Yep. Then we get several smooches after they're reunited on the Ewok village. Um. These are very much like those Anakin and Padme kisses in Revenge of the Sith, where they're like, "Yeah, these people are a couple. We don't need to linger on this, but we're still going to show them totally having a big old snog because they're a couple. You got to like it." Then we get into one of my favorites. <laughs> no, looking at the screen much- cap, Kirsty. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the kiss when Leia reveals to Han that Luke is her brother is so funny. Oh, it totally is. (laughs) I think it's one of the great comedic moments in Star Wars, to be honest. (laughs) I don't know what's going on with Harrison Ford's acting. It is just so over the top and goofy, but it's also really sweet because he's so happy and relieved. Yeah, it is. And it's sort of like a two-stage kiss because there's the first part where he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> then they break apart for a moment. I think she says something else. And then he's like, oh, thank God. So I think my read of it is that when she first kisses him in his head, he's going, was that a joke? Like, is that actually real? And then w- when they kiss again, he's like, oh, God, she means it. He is actually her brother. So everything is fine. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't blame him if he's, like, thinking back to all the times that Leia and Luke kissed. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Wait, what? I'm sure that edit must be out there, you know, just, like, cut from the kiss to, like, flashbacks of all the well, kisses. He, yeah, like, back to that one at the beginning of Empire when she's clearly kissing him to make him jealous. He's like, wait, what? Did you know then? <laughs> what sort of weirdo family am I getting myself mixed up with? But, you know, she's always known, so... <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's such a mess. And yeah, Kirsty, rewatching this particular kiss, it kind of hurt because when they break away after that second one, Han like gives this big goofy smile and it was really painful because it was so much like Ben's smile after his kiss between him and Ray. And mm. I was like, Oh it hurts it hurts so much. Yeah. Cause there's obviously a big difference in what happens after that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But we'll get to that. I don't want to um, talk about that before we get there. But yeah, great kisses. Lovely, beautiful kisses between beautiful people. You can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually, yeah, thinking back, I'm really struggling to pick my favourite from the original trilogy. Because there's funny kisses, there's epic kisses. There's kisses that you love because of who initiates it and why it's happening. So many good kisses. Yeah. And I think compared to the prequels, they're of a very different quality. You know, like all the kisses in the prequels are very earnest. They're very sincere. You know, it's like, oh, we're so in love. It's this very like grand, epic tenor to everything. Whereas in the originals, you get this very broad spectrum of the types Mm -hmm. of expressions of love you get. And yeah, I think it makes it feel more dynamic and natural. Yeah. 
That's kind of what I was saying earlier in terms of how different the originals and prequels feel versus how the sequel trilogy feels so tied to the original trilogy. Mm, yeah. But of course, as we're going to go on to discuss, the sequel trilogy is distinctly lacking in kisses. Yeah. Like, there's... Obviously, there are some kisses that we are going to talk about. But for a Star Wars trilogy, I think, you know, there are more kisses in Solo than there are in these three movies. Yeah. Missed opportunity. Yeah, I'm just saying they could have thrown in a few more. No, and I agree. That fine. I agree. <laughs> um, okay. So then in The Last Jedi, we obviously get the nice little kiss between Rose and Finn on Crate. And yeah, rewatching that one, I was surprised by how brief it was. In my head, it was much longer. Um, mm. But it is really just this fleeting press of the lips. And I, that makes sense because it's obviously a kiss under extreme circumstances. <laughs> and yeah, they're not an established relationship by any means. It's more Rose being like, oh, to heck with this, I'm going to kiss you. You know, because she obviously has these feelings for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how do you feel about this one, Kirsty? I really like it. Uh, I love that she initiates. I love that she just saved his life and mm-hmm. gets to do this. Yeah. Uh, we get big shots of their faces. She's delivering this intense confession that becomes almost the thesis statement of the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also love his look of confusion after the fact. <laughs> yes. So like, that's very in character and kind of in keeping with how their dynamics been evolving throughout the movie. I just, again, not to get too salty, I just kind of hoped that there would be an evolution to come after that and kind of a rounding off of where things would be between them within the Rise of Skywalker era. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there's the epic explosion behind them. And then, of course, it's followed later with him covering the hell of a blanket. So it is kind of rounded off perfectly within this movie. You see that reciprocation of affection. But Finn Rose is kind of nipped in the bud, as it were, for the Rise of Skywalker. I see what you did there. I'm trying to mask my pain. Yeah. You all know how I feel, but to go from this to that clap on the shoulder is criminal as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah, it's the sort of moment that's kind of painful to revisit, isn't it? Because you can't really just look at it in isolation now. Because, yeah, you're just thinking about what became of these characters and their relationship. And the answer, unfortunately, is not much. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not even like, oh, we broke up or there's just not even an an acknowledgement of it. Yeah. That's what's devastating. It's like, wait, what? Uh, There's no, there's nothing. Yeah. So they don't work together. (laughs) Yeah. No, exactly. It just makes everything feel very awkward and a bit disconnected, which, yeah, is a pity. But as just a kiss and isolation I, I do like it it's yeah I love the melodrama of them kissing as there's this huge dramatic explosion behind them that's very stalls to me mm-hmm. um, and yeah it's well lit I love the framing and yeah it's very nicely executed so lots of points on those fronts yeah definitely okay cool so I know this is out of order, but I wanted to talk about Ben and Ray last because I think we're obviously going to have more to say about that. So I thought we'd talk briefly about Daisy and her wife kissing during the final celebration in Rise of Skywalker. So obviously this moment kind of got some hype in air quotes from JJ before the film was released and attracted some finger pieces and stuff of varying tones. 
is obviously the first same-sex kiss depicted in live-action Star Wars. So that's really great as a step forward for representation. But yeah, it also can't be understated that it's a very fleeting moment that's basically in the background. So yeah, I feel a bit uncomfortable like with how the makers of the film sort of patted themselves on the back for this because they're like, eh, it's kind of tokenistic, guys. Yeah, I'm happy that we have it. Um, but I refuse to count it as a full kiss because we deserve at this point, and yeah, I'm going to say deserve, to have a queer relationship and those characters developing on screen, that dynamic. This barely counts as representation in 2020. Yeah. Like, come on. Um, and also, again, kind of coming back to like more background or just like casual kisses in the other trilogies that we're bound to have missed because it's clearly designed so that you can blink and miss it. So there must be characters in the background of, like you said, like victory celebration and, you know, it's it's that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, it's technically in the frame of the picture, but it's not the point. Yeah, exactly. It's like the most minute amount of garnish basically on the main dish and i think it hurt fans because when you're talking about the potential to have a same-sex kiss within a star wars movie in the sequel trilogy when a lot of fans had been hoping that you'd get finpo uh it's kind of undermined by that level of expectation and the amount of teasing that was going on in terms of that relationship during the promo yeah it's a real bummer and yeah i'll tell you what it reminds me of more than anything it reminds me of all the build-up to the lefou character in the live action beauty and the beast and how he was going to be like gay representation and like all that is is obviously some like very faint like queer baiting with how he's characterized in relation to gaston and then at the very end at the ball you get like a one second shot of him dancing with a man there's like not even like a kiss or anything and it's like what the fuck it's just (laughs) yeah disney cynicism basically is one hell of a drug yeah Yeah, or like endgame where you get one of the russo brothers giving their cameo where they like just casually mention that they went on a date with a man yeah it's not even a named character it's apparently representation is just defined by oh yeah queer people exist in this universe we're not going to tell stories about them but you can just know that they're there somewhere in the background yeah oh we acknowledge that gay people exist oh yeah that that seems to be what they think representation is it's like actually we want stories (laughs) that mirror us (laughs) yeah thank you good luck (laughs) so i laugh to keep from crying and i will try to bring that into the discussion further on just i don't know yeah like like we've said the state of romance in star wars is especially now after the sequel trilogy it's kind of a hot topic because on on one level you can see it as a central theme of course it plays into the idea of love and you get that in various incarnations most probably pivotally in terms of found family and familial love and friendship and stuff like that but especially in the prequel trilogy and to an extent the sequel trilogy in terms of Rey and Kylo's relationship um, romantic love however you define that however it's depicted is pretty important and yet can often be swept to one side yeah. or dismissed in, in a way 
Um, and I I have to think that there, there are shades of misogyny to that because of course, not to generalize too much, but often romance in movies is seen as girl stuff. Yeah. No, 100%. Like, it's not universally accepted, I don't think, is like a fundamental ingredient in Star Wars. And when you actually look at these films and you look at how many like big epic kisses and how many romantic through lines there are across them, it is really important, you know. And in terms of all the character stuff and the human relationship stuff, romance is absolutely integral to the types of stories they're telling. So, yeah, it is strange that there's often, like, this blind spot for that in official channels. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. All right, you ready to talk about Raylo? <laughs> yeah. We need to talk about Raylo. Yeah. We need to talk about Raylo. Okay, so I did see some discourse recently on my Twitter feed where people were saying they didn't actually think the kiss was all that great, like, just as itself. And I have to say that I think it's a wonderful kiss. In its own right, when you divorce it from context, I think it's great. <laughs> I love everything. I love the way like Ben is looking at her before it happens. I love the way Ray is looking at Ben before it happens. I love how they're both like idiots who don't really know what they're doing and just like <laughs> sort of smudge their faces together. And then I especially love that adorable little smile that Ben gives after the kiss happens. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just think it's all perfect and I love it. How about you, yeah. Kirsty? Well, I've written in my notes that it's perfection if you forget about what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> accurate. That's very accurate. I like it. <laughs> I mean, you know, right down to the fact that he just saved her life. So there's the poetic parallel with Annie Dala. My love won't save you, Padme. But Ben saves Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, and how you, you noted it, how he's like looking at her before the kiss. He clearly wants to kiss her after he's revived her yeah he's looking at her face all over like he can't believe that she's really there but it's so critical that she initiates and then he gives into it and it deepens yeah um exactly i'm sorry it's just it's their first and last kiss yeah and yeah like we've talked a lot about these kisses as tragic but this is the ultimate tragic kiss in all of star wars I think yeah. it doesn't get more tragic than this. Emphis Blessed on Twitter, she really brought on the waterworks for a lot of fans the other day because she pointed out, I think she thought that this had been like a, a conscious established thing in the fandom that she was just pointing out casually, but actually when the way she put it into words that for Ray, this was going to be a beginning, not an end. Like that mm. was her perception of what was happening there. Yeah. And it just kind of really solidified the tragedy of it because, you know, Ray she says Ben and she looks so happy she thinks that she finally has Ben Solo here he's finally with her she wanted to take his hand and now she has it until she doesn't Yeah. so I'm still not okay Yeah. It's why very do you painful. hurt me so much Star Wars and I think for Ben he knows what's going to happen he knows that he's given his life for this but I think it's also so terribly painful for him because this is something he's probably wanted ever since he's known this girl you know, and just full stop wanted in his life, you know, wanted this love from someone, this acceptance. And now he has it. And he knows that it's not going to last. He knows it's temporal. And you can tell that after they break apart and that smile is obviously this smile of pure joy. But it's also this 
just dawning understanding of and I'm gonna go and yeah this isn't gonna last this can't last and oh my god sorry I'm like dissolving into incoherence myself (laughs) I'm never gonna be okay with the fact that they had someone else leave Ray yeah exactly especially if the whole Maz speech to her in The Force Awakens it just feels like the ultimate screw over of Ray. And yeah, obviously Ben's getting pretty screwed over as well, but poor Ray because she doesn't have a clue what's going on. Like she just feels so lost in this moment. And yeah, it's so terribly sad for her. Yeah. I think what hurts is that this is such an established part of the kind of story that we understood that they were telling. Obviously, people have listened to the show for years, know that we were kind of speculating from the beginning that in broad strokes, they were kind of retelling a version of Beauty and the Beast here. Or we talked about lots of other stories that kind of feed into that thing, like Cupid and Psyche. Um, So that's why we were kind of confident that they would end up expressing their affection in a kiss like this. But in terms of what happens afterwards, that all feels very wrong for the kind of story that has been unfolding here. Yeah. Um, With a lack of resolution to it or a lack of acknowledgement that it's like a tragic twist on that kind of story. So that's what hurts about The Rise of Skywalker in that a lot of the beats of the story fit with the kind of things that we were speculating on. Um, I think we're going to come back to it at some point, but our series that we did on the masculine and feminine in the sequel trilogy, um, you know, there, there are beats to this that feel very much Cupid and Psyche. It's the search for the lost husband. It's him transforming the animal bridegroom. And then he goes away again. Yeah. So she finds him and then she loses him. Exactly. Which is why it feels so wrong and so desperately in need of some sort of continuation or resolution. Um, so yeah, that's why people are so upset. Yeah, like I think I saw you point out, Kirsty, that one of our listeners had tweeted at us that in an early episode we'd sort of name-checked Romeo and Juliet. They mm. said... Oh, yeah, but it won't get that sort of tragic resolution. (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, it kind of does. But, yeah, then it goes back to that whole thing of it's a tragedy, but it doesn't acknowledge it's a tragedy. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, in Romeo and Juliet, the kissing is a precursor to death. And in this scene, the kissing is a precursor to death. (laughs) Obviously, the kiss isn't literally what kills Ben, like is the case in Romeo and Juliet. But like it's framed in such a way where it comes across like that yeah it's like a kiss of death exactly it's this awful equation of love and death and yeah it's all very peculiar and muddled in terms of what we're meant to be getting out of it symbolically yeah i am curious to see how this stuff is uh, presented in the novelization yeah same i'm very curious i'm prepared for it to not be presented in a way that is to my tastes and if that's the case, it's just going to be like, that's fine. It's just a oh, novelization. So, it is just another yeah. interpretation. Um, and yeah, ultimately, it's what's in the movie that matters. It's just like, maybe that will shed more light on the intent. But oh, I, yeah. I don't I don't think that Ray Carson is in talks with JJ or Terrio about the intent. I think she's probably working as closely as she can with the story group. But Yeah, I think the only window she would have is a copy of the script. Which, yeah. yeah, obviously that would give her some more insight. But, yeah, based on the interviews of Terrier, I'm not sure how much insight would be in- contained therein. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> we'll see soon enough, because the novelisation is coming pretty so- pretty shortly. It's out in March, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I'm not sure. 
Oh my god. Yeah, that's another thing on the radar to think about talking about. Oh my god. Okay. Oh god, I need to stop looking at these pictures. It's too amazing yet too depressing. You can just stop the movie after the kiss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the end. <laughs> then it's great. I'm super psyched for it to come out in beautiful, glorious high definition. So then we don't need to look at like shit quality screen caps anymore. <laughs> well, you know, this movie already has quite a strong blue tint to it but the yes. camera rips are on another level and i think maybe some of the discourse around it people are maybe forgetting that the camera rips are not the accurate color of the movie yeah so it's exaggerated you know so it's like yeah it does look blue but it's not that blue yeah okay. exactly it's not smurf quality it's like <laughs> yeah oh my god okay anyway, if you would like to message us and let us know your favorite star wars snog be our guest we, we want to hear about the kisses yeah no we definitely want to hear from you guys so please do email us you can reach us at scavengershorde at gmail.com um, and on the note of emails we just have a few quick emails to read out from people um, would you like to read out the first one from Christian Kirsty? sure hello thanks for your latest discussions about the sequel trilogy it would be interesting if you dedicated an episode to what will happen with Star Wars now what way do you think they will go in movies, books, and comics? Will they keep digging in the old stories and characters? Will they expand on the time between the originals and the sequels? Or will they do something completely different, like Ryan's films rumoured to be about somewhere else in the galaxy? What do you hope for? What do you dread? And what do you think is most realistic and economically viable? Those hmm. are all great questions. I feel like we've yeah. actually touched upon that whole topic this episode quite a bit. Obviously not extensively, because it wasn't the focus of this episode, but... Especially in that opening piece from you, Kirsty, you talked about your feelings on this somewhat, didn't you? Yeah. It's again, I have to rein in the salt. <laughs> I really do not want to be a negative Star Wars fan. Mm. Um, but it's been really hard to stay positive after the culmination of the sequel trilogy because as people know, we were such advocates for the original characters and the story direction as we understood it to be after the last jedi the potential of what this trilogy would be saying and what aspect it would be bringing to star wars that felt new and distinctive and moving forward which we really feel like the last jedi did mm. and the force awakens did to an extent even as it had to kind of tread that fine line um right now honestly personally i am not feeling too optimistic about the future of star wars yeah. Because things like what Bob Iger was saying in that earnings call about, yes, The Mandalorian has been successful, and I enjoy that show. Um, but by kind of taking the lesson to be, well, we can have spin-offs, rather than really paving the way with new stories, new characters, um, that's what I wanted for the future of Star Wars. Yeah. And I'm kind of worried that they're going to kind of double down on that marvelization strategy that you were referencing, mm. which of course is it's commercially successful. It's it's been proven by Marvel itself, so I don't blame them for that. It's just not personally where I want to see things go. And I think if that is going to be the long term direction of the franchise, I'm going to be stepping back in terms of my emotional investment in it. Mm. Yeah. I don't expect Lucasfilm to care about that. I'm just one person. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I don't. Whatever. Uh, just have to kind of see how we feel about things as they come out. Yeah. 
no, I feel broadly similar. Like, maybe I'll end up becoming, like, the ultimate Star Wars comic book fan because that seems to be, like, where you go to find, like, emotionally complex stories right now in Star Wars. Um, that's a bit mean and unfair. No, you know, it's actually valid because you can say there's always somewhere we can find something. And even if it's staying in transformative fandom where you focus on fanfic. Yeah. That's, that's a way of engaging with the story. So. Yeah. There's always going to be something here for us, but we're not sure what it's going to be. Yeah, no, exactly. I think the thing is, everything is so uncertain right now because we don't even know what the next film is. Like, the only thing that is certain that is coming up is season two of The Mandalorian. And like Kirsty said, we both enjoyed The Mandalorian, but, and yeah, we were able to talk about it weekly as the episodes were coming out, but I've, I'm obviously not speaking for you here, Kirsty. But I feel like for myself, I'm not sure how much else I have left to say about it now. You know, like we had that one episode sort of capping things off after Christmas when we talked about the final two episodes and just the season as a whole. And I'm glad we did that. And it was fun to sum up our overall feelings. But I feel quite content that I've said everything I want to say about The Mandalorian for now until the next season comes out. And that's just quite a contrast, you know, from the sequel trilogy where The Last Jedi kept us chugging along for like a whole year, you know, and that's just one movie. I never expected to be that emotionally invested in The Mandalorian, you know, just by dint of what it seemed to be about and the type of story it was telling. So that's fine. It's okay. I can't expect to be equally invested in everything that comes out with Star Wars Attached. And by God, I don't want to be, you know, because I need some sort of life and I need to be interested in things that are not Star Wars, you know, because I try to be quite well-rounded as a person as much as possible. Um, But yeah, I really do want to see it diversify more. I don't want it. I don't want to see them make the mistake of thinking, oh, the the Mandalorian is successful, therefore we must replicate that as much as possible until people are sick of it. I think that's the ultimate mistake they could make right now. So, yeah, I'm interested to see what they do, but I share Kirsty's cynicism for the time being until we see evidence that they have some really exciting ideas for where they're going to take things. Yeah, I think that's it. We're not writing Star Wars off. We're just kind of like, well, well, we'll wait and see. But having a Star Wars podcast kind of makes that difficult because, you know, after the sequel trilogy finished, it was like a bit of soul searching. It was like, we enjoy doing the podcast and it's kind of become, you know, an emotionally enriching part of both of our lives. We love talking to each other every week about Star Wars. And I I presume that people keep listening because they like it and get something out of it. So that's great. (laughs) But we have been kind of at a crossroads because we we started this podcast because we loved the sequel trilogy so much and we just had so much to say about it but now it's over it's like what what's going to be the hook that keeps us as emotionally invested yeah because we we love all aspects of star wars and you know as we've demonstrated here we love the original trilogy we love the prequels there are definitely different aspects of star wars that we love but it was kind of the sequel trilogy um, and what we found value in there that led us to the point where we were like, let's start a podcast because that's a lot of work. Um, yeah, I'm just kind of waiting for the thing that's going to hook me in as much as that because, like you said, I did enjoy The Mandalorian much more than I thought I was going to based on the marketing. But in terms of spinning that out <laughs> for hours-long conversations, um, I'm not sure how I'm going to do that. So, And that's fine. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's just a piece of entertainment. 
Yeah. Um, and it know. functioned perfectly as entertainment. So it did exactly what it was meant to. It's just, yeah, it's not all bread and butter, you know, like the sequel trilogy stuff is. Because even The Rise of Skywalker, for all the flaws and all the frustrations, there's a lot I want to say about that, you know, and we will be talking about it more. Um, but yeah, it's just, there's lots of question marks around in Star Wars right now, and we need to wait and see what they're going to come up with. Yeah. Maybe we can dive into the EU, read some of those old books for a while. <laughs> I definitely want to read The Courtship of Princess Leia. Same. Let's that way. <laughs> you gave it to me. It's been on my shelf for a while. I need to crack it open. Yeah. No, and after I gave you my cop- my hardback copy, I bought a paperback copy. So yeah, we'll be able to <laughs> read in tandem at some point. That'll be fun. Um, okay, cool. So then we just have one more email from Claire. Could you read that out, Kirsty? Sorry, I know I'm yep. being lazy for the reading. <laughs> no, it's Okay. <laughs> I just want to thank you so much for your podcast. I don't usually do things like this, but I really felt strongly that I wanted to email you two and thank you both for everything. I started listening to it back when Last Jedi came out, as I really wanted a podcast which focused on the sequel trilogy from the point of view of women. A lot of the people reviewing The Last Jedi at the time were men and had very negative views and opinions on the film, which I had in fact loved. Your podcast was a treasure for me, a place where I felt I could come out of the negative opinions that people had around me about The Last Jedi and have them resolved. Thank you so much. I've loved listening to your past podcasts and keeping up to date with your current podcasts. I really enjoyed your Rose Rose Tico episode as it gave me a greater perspective of the impact this character has made to so many people around the world. I was wondering if you were planning on doing a similar podcast for Rey. I know that you had some problems about the way Rey's character journey ends in The Rise of Skywalker, and so I thought it might be a good idea to do a podcast focused on celebrating Rey and the impact she has made on people. I would be happy to email you regarding my thoughts and feelings about Rey and Daisy Ridley. Please let me know what you think. Who am I? My name is Claire and I'm from England. I run a YouTube channel with my sister Katie called Crazy Kins. We are currently working on a video entitled In Defense of the Rise of Skywalker. Anyway, thank you once again. I hope this email finds you both well. Have a great week and may the force be with you from Claire. Thank you, Claire. Oh, that's a really nice email. Yeah, thank you, Claire. We will definitely be doing an episode on Rey. <laughs> yeah, probably several episodes because I feel yeah. like a sort of celebration episode of Rey, like discussing like the difference that character has made for people and what she means to people. That could just be an episode in itself. You know, you wouldn't necessarily have much analysis in that. It would just be about how have people personally responded to that character, you know? So yeah, I definitely want to do something like that at some point and I'd say keep an eye on our Twitter and stuff because I think when we do episodes like that we want to give people a few weeks of advance notice so they have time to write an email or perhaps like, record a little piece that we can include in the podcast. So yeah, that will definitely be in the works. Yeah, I think people relate to Ray for hugely personal reasons sometimes as well. So mm. that could get really emotional, just like the Rose one did too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think people relate to her for all sorts of reasons. And she is a really great character. However we feel about The Rise of Skywalker, Daisy's performance is absolutely incredible. Yep. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to say. And there's a, there is a lot to celebrate. Like We have a big list of episodes that we want to do on the various characters and themes and everything devoted to the sequel trilogy and beyond that. So we do still have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So don't worry, guys. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> okay cool so i feel like that is probably time to wrap it up so i'm rachel and you can find me on stars nonsense on tumblr i'm kirsty and you can find me at bastila bay on tumblr and you can find us both on twitter at scavengers horde until next time bye bye